Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves. Feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. This is a podcast from The Times, sports newspaper of the year. Hello and welcome to The Games, the podcast of record from The Times. I'm Chris Skinner and from here until the end of the Olympic Games, we'll be providing all the essential information and opinion you need to stay on top of all the major events. You can get in touch with us via Twitter. Just tweet your thoughts on London 2012 or this programme using the hashtag MyOlympics. So the sun has come out, the traffic has ground to the predicted standstill, the torch is passing through the streets of London and rumours are abound about what we will see in the opening ceremony. So let's get a state of play from London 2012. First up, Richard Whitehead, Times journalist and editor of the Times Book of Olympic Heroes. How important are these games to the UK? Do we really need to put on a show here? Oh, I think absolutely that. And I think anyone who is even the most sceptical of the value of having the Games would think that that now we're here. It's good. It's important that they're good. It's important that the sun shines, and it is at the moment. Fingers crossed that carries on. And it's, you know, important that they go well, we have some memorable sport, and that people around the world see London as a cool and happening place. There have been the inevitable bad news stories about ticketing, transport, uh, costs, uh, security. How well do you think that the preparation is actually going? I think the preparation is... Well, we all know that in terms of the completion of the venues, it's absolutely superb and miles ahead of any other city that's ever had the Games, as far as I'm aware. I mean, the fact that the the outline of that stadium has become such a recognisable landmark already is is just because it's been finished for so long and it's been ready for so long. I've been looking at pictures of the park today on the news and that looks absolutely fantastic. So I, I think the preparation's gone pretty well. Obviously, the security, we've had our bad news stories with the security with a bit of transport I think people have to remember that it's just such an enormous undertaking logistically and I can't imagine there's ever been an Olympic Games when something hasn't gone wrong in the build up and let's hope with the security we've had our problem now and we've overcome it if if you look now at Greece and you look at Athens and you look at some of the venues there which Mm. are already just eight eight years on it seems like they're falling down Mm. um, I get the impression that's not going to happen with London I know obviously certain stadiums will be ripped down but do do you think there's genuinely a legacy uh, in place here I think that remains to be seen uh, Chris to be honest I think it's obviously vitally important that there is, but I would be dubious about saying that's definitely going to happen yet. I mean, you know, 
I think you know all the stuff about a major football club going into the Olympic Stadium. I think that's a shame. We we need a, a good yeah. top class athletic stadium, and I think it's a shame if the Olympic Stadium can't be kept as that. What about the Olympics as a news story? Uh, obviously, huge sporting stories will come from this. But to to a, to a paper like the Times, how big is the Olympic Games? It's absolutely massive for the Times uh, and the amount of work we've put into it and the preparation we've put into it uh, emphasises that really. It's uh, People come to the Times at, uh, at, for great events. People, you know, royal weddings, etc., etc., the Jubilee, we, we, we generally do extremely well for those. We put on sales for those things. Big news stories, you know, obviously not very often happy news stories, but big news stories, people buy the Times because they want the definitive word, the definitive verdict on it and uh, you know obviously we're hoping and I'm sure it will that that effect will kick in again for the Olympic Games uh, finally the, the, the Times book of Olympic heroes and I, I believe it's out uh, on Amazon later on in the week um, j- just tell us a little bit about that and, and may, maybe who, who uh, London 2012 you think is a, a worthy entry into that book the Times book of Olympic heroes will be out as you say it's an e-book uh, it's on Amazon later in the week Wednesday we hope fingers crossed it features some of the great stories of Olympic history and how we told them to our readers the next day so Seb Cohen in, in uh, Moscow in 1980, yeah. David Hemery in Mexico City 1968, Chris Hoy in Beijing. They're all in there. Eric Little, for the, anyone who's been to see Chariots of Fire. Uh, Eric Little in 1924. They're all in there. They're, they're, they're sort of classic reports. Yeah. And uh, who will be in this time? Well, Bradley Wiggins, that's an easy name, isn't it? <laughs> uh, we're all rooting for Jessica Ennis, obviously, because she's, she's written for us for a number of years and you know is extremely high profile. But I wouldn't mind betting that there'll be somebody who we don't necessarily think of in the build-up who emerges as one of the great figures. That seems to be the way it happens quite often. I'm still saying the Brownleys. I think this Olympics could be all about the Brownies. I want to be on, on record in our first could show. Could well be, uh, could well be. Yeah, yeah, get, that, get that mark down. Uh, thanks for joining us. It's a pleasure. Thank you very much. So if you're looking at a fantastic sports photograph in The Times today, there's every chance it was taken uh, by one of these two men, Mark Aspland or Graham Hughes. Uh, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. you look very nervous on that introduction there. <laughs> no, no, no. Well, some of the phraseology was uh, made Graham slightly nervous when you mentioned the word brilliant photography. <laughs> Mark, away from the people that you'll be f- photographing, uh, have you had uh, much of a chance to actually see the setting in which you'll be taking the photographs yet? A lot of new venues, ha- have they... Uh, uh, led to any inspiration yet so far? Uh, absolutely, Graham. In fact, Graham and I were down at the Olympic Park um, uh, just a couple of days ago to pick up our final accreditation bits and bobs, these these photo bibs that we all have to wear. And um, I have to say now, since seeing it as a, as a building site and now coming back just a couple of days ago, where it is literally shiny and new, it, you do get a very much a sense of uh, the hairs on the back of your neck standing up. And you, you'll have been to many major sporting stadiums around the world. Uh, how do you think that uh, the Olympic Stadium and surrounding venues are going to stand up against those? Well, to be honest with you, if you take just if you take it as as a, as, a, as the Olympic Games, Beijing was was 
an awe-inspiring stadium in the day and and almost especially at night. It's one of these rare stadiums. It's like a bit like the uh, the Camp Nou in Barcelona, which looks more impressive when it's empty. The uh, the Bird's Nest looked unbelievably impressive late at night when it was all lit up for example. Uh, and the same is true with Athens and Sydney. They all have got their own little facets of, 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 of just this amazing stadium. But equally, I think when Graham and I were there, you, you look at the, uh, the athletic stadium and it, and it really has got the wow factor. Graham, mm. you, you've uh, captured a bit of Jess Ennis in the build-up to the Games, haven't you? Yeah. T- tell me, tell me um, about tell me about the project you were involved in with her and, and the impressions that she gave as a person and as an athlete. Well, uh, I first met Jess in 2008, a month before the Olympics. Um, unfortunately, when she didn't compete, she was in plaster. Uh, I went up to Sheffield to meet her for the first time. And she was quite a shy, retiring girl. Not not the sort of person that I've bec- you know come to know now. She's very, very uh, outgoing, um, really friendly, and yeah, really good laugh. Um, I've got to know her through competitions and all through and also through studio work. Um, the competitions just purely from a from a photographic point of view I've kind of learnt what, how she looks when she uh, jumps over things and runs <laughs> over things lands in sand lands on the high jump so that's that's the experience that um, you know you really want going into an Olympics because you know you only get one chance to get sort of the, the great moment and if you know what the athlete's going to do or how the athlete's going to look doing hurdling or high jumping it's a major advantage getting to know her as a person sort of been a great experience as well because she's she's just a just a normal girl that you would you know have in your family or someone from school a friend like that you know she's very cool finally uh, what, what are you looking forward to uh, you know we're a few days away now um, are there any particular events that you cannot wait to be looking at you know with the camera ready to go I think both of us, and even if you had someone in off the street to answer that question, everybody was going to say, oh, you know, we can't wait for the 100 metres, we can't wait for the cycling, we can't wait for some of the, you know, Rebecca Adlington in the pool, for example, of which um, Graham and I will be, will, be, will be focusing our lenses on all of the main blue ribbon, high pressure moments of the Olympics. But I think for Graham and I, I think it's just, it's going to be very important for the Times coverage is... That we that we're expected to deliver um, some dramatic images every day, and if our dramatic and the most beautiful pictures appear from the fencing, then so be it, and I'll be more than happy if that happens. I'm joined now by Ashling O'Connor, the uh, Times Olympics correspondent. Ashling, you're on location now where you, you are probably going to be embedded for the next several weeks. Uh, first, first impressions, is everything actually working over there? It seems to be. Um, when I arrived this morning, there was a helicopter buzzing overhead because the IOC members and the Olympic, uh, the, the IOC president include, uh, were having a tour of the Olympic village. So it feels very much like the games are about to happen. You know, the military presence is, is high. There's a buzz around the place that there hasn't been until, until today. Uh, I, I saw elements of uh, Jacques Rogge's uh, press conference uh, from a couple of days ago, and there was no shortage of heavyweight questions. He had to deal with you know, everything from Israel to the Falklands on top of maybe the odd sports question as well. I, I guess it's fair play that at this stage the IOC president will get asked such questions. Yeah, and he's used to it. It's part of the course with all games, and he's, and he's an, a sort of a street politician. He 
has uh, perfected the art of saying stuff but not actually saying very much so he he addresses and answers questions but actually he doesn't really give much away he's a the jeffrey boycott of uh, <laughs> of uh, olympic commentators if you like he's um he's he doesn't get easily ruffled or easily excited which actually for the olympic movement is quite a good thing his predecessor was a very flamboyant spaniard who uh, who, who who was prone to the boast he was the one that said that sydney was the best games ever um london probably I think may well be the best games ever, but we'll never get that kind of accolade from, yeah. from Rog because he's just not of that character. Now, uh, Chris Hoyer is appearing in a today's newspaper. He is, you know, announced as the flag bearer yesterday. You spoke to him earlier on, and he spoke about uh, Bradley Wiggins and the impact he might have on the cycling team. Yeah, he just said that everyone had been obviously in the training camp at the cycling team, the, the track cycling team, are training in Newport and uh, at the velodrome there. And they've obviously been watching the, the Tour de France and it's Team Sky is run by Dave Brailsford, who's also their performance director and orchestrated their fantastic success in Beijing, where they won eight gold medals, including one on the road from Nicole Cook and totally dominated the world. And he, I think they've got a, a zing in their step that if they didn't have before, they've certainly got... Uh, an ability to sort of raise their game to another level because Wiggins is going to come back as part of that track cycling team but as also as the first British man to win the Tour de France and that's a huge morale booster and, and certainly Chris Hoy said that he feels that the whole of the cycling team is, is it's going to rub off on them and that they really just they're, they're champing at the bit and, and, and can't wait to start but unfortunately the, the event in the uh, Velodrome the action there doesn't kick off until uh, August the 2nd so which actually gives him the chance to, to carry the flag at the opening ceremony because he has time after the, the, the show which ends quite late and which has ruled quite a lot of other people out of, of attending the opening ceremony and an example would be Ben Ainsley uh, who's in the sailing but he's down in Weymouth and the sailing starts the day uh, two days after the opening ceremony so he's going to go to his amazingly he's been to four Olympics Chris Hoy and he's never been to an opening ceremony wow. so this will be his first and he's looking forward to it and he was voted the unanimous choice of fellow athletes to carry the flag, which means that he will lead the charge, lead the team into the stadium at about 11.30pm on Friday night. One final piece of housekeeping before we let you go. If you listen to this via the Times iPad app, you can also get the programme as an MP3 via iTunes. And if you listen via iTunes, you can get the show on our iPad app, where it comes with some amazing accompanying images relevant to all the topics we cover. Throughout the games, the iPad edition will be updating at 5am, 5pm and 10.30pm, including reports on all the day's events, amazing picture galleries and other visual feasts. If you aren't yet a Times subscriber, you can go to www.timespacks.co.uk where there are various subscriptions on offer to suit your reading habits. And don't forget, you can get in touch with the MyOlympics hashtag on Twitter. Our next show will be with you tomorrow morning. Bye-bye. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.